0: Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. Well, we are going to have a seat and we're going to jump in to, this, uh, to the Word this morning. We're going to have more worship as we continue. But if you are new to Table Talk... I just want you to know that just hold on to your seat. Don't worry. Every single thing has been thought out. It's a very intentional event. And one of the reasons why we started the event um, was because we wanted an event that thought about each individual. We didn't want you to just come in and come out and nobody knew you were there. And we wanted to see how God could use a circle of women And see what God would do through that and so we have seen every single year God do miracles every single year God touch ladies and so if it is your first time don't worry we'll guide you through the process and you do not have to worry about what's next we're gonna make sure you know and that you are able to go forward without too much stress or anxiety Uh, you know what I know that this is kind of the beginning of the year it's the end of January but at the beginning of the year, all, most everybody starts thinking about how we can eat healthier. Uh, and so, of course, our church is seeking the Lord in this month, and we've done some fasting. And uh, of course, I'm thinking fasting and be healthier all at the same time. And so, I've added making smoothies in the morning. And, um, you know, I'm the smoothie queen. And so here I have started doing this, but I have even gotten my husband to uh, take on these smoothies. Now I will say this, uh, he still doesn't know all that's in them, and that's okay. Although my youngest son saw me put some vegetables in them and he went and told his dad. Because my youngest son has a very deep conviction that everything is made known and, tr- you know, everybody knows the truth. And so thankfully he had already tasted them. thinks they're good. So we're good. Uh, but you know what? My kids sometimes will get a, a grand idea from TikTok or something like that, and so they're going to want to use my blender because blenders are so fun. It's like a toy, and so my kids are old enough to use the blender, and so it is something that has happened more than once where they've come in and gotten their concoction, gotten their recipe, gotten their little TikTok video, and uh, they're going to put in the blender what you know is going to make an amazing smoothie bowl or something. And, of course, if that lid is not tight on that blender that little creative fun moment becomes a blender fiasco and then it turns into I have a lot to do today it was not spending hours with the toothbrush and the grout okay and then of course you have a day later goes by and you go into the bathroom and you're like how did smoothie spread to the bathroom how did it go around the corner and into that door? Okay, so you know I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but the bottom line is, is I know for one, I don't like feeling out of control. And that's exactly that kind of feeling. When the blender goes off without the lid, it feels like it's out of control. And you know what, the last couple of years, I almost feel like our world has gone through a lid off the blender season. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like there's a lot of people in our world, and I'm not going to judge, it's me too, that don't like feeling out of control. And so we've definitely experienced the lid off the blender of emotions, the lid off the blender of opinions, and sure enough, we've seen scattered relationships and we've seen fear spread like I don't think I've ever experienced before. And so one of the things that I believe today that he wants to, God wants to lead us in is to help us see who he is and what he says and how we can partner with his plan instead of us trying to get him to partner with our plan. Okay, so I believe today our Father in Heaven wants us to know he's sovereign. And that can be a scary term. And there are theologies and whole denominations built on the sovereignty of God. And I am definitely not here to mess up your theology. I'm going to speak to the fact that most Christians believe that we live in a fallen world. And there are some real things that we cannot control. There are things that happen to us and happen to people that are just from the product of sin in our culture, sin in our world that was let loose at the first at the beginning in Genesis and so I am not saying that God has done anything these last couple of years that have been produced in our world I'm not saying that he hasn't or he has I'm not saying which one he did which one he didn't do I am just saying that we live in a fallen world and we've been living in it the last couple of years and we've been seeing it really loud and clear and guess what When we say he is sovereign, that means we believe that he is bigger than what we see, that he is bigger than what happened. He's bigger than all these problems. And we're saying, actually, when I say he's sovereign, that means I believe he has a plan to redeem everything. Now, if we allow him to, and so there is a redemption that I believe God has in store for each and every one of you. And you may be sitting in the room saying, you know what, I wasn't super worried about this, or I wasn't super worried about that, or I wasn't affected by that. But just wait and see. Let me talk you through a couple of things that I feel like will help us see what he's trying to say. There's still nothing beyond his power. When we say he's sovereign, we say he's powerful. We say that he is, able, can, and will deliver us. Now, when we say he delivers us, it doesn't mean he answers our prayers the way we thought he was going to answer them. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. When I say that when he's going to intervene in your life, I'm not promising you that it's going to be in the way that you'd expected. I am promising you that he's going to intervene in such a way that he will deliver us, he will save us, he will rescue us, and he will redeem anything and everything that someone else has cursed and says it's unredeemable. You know, Isaiah 64, 8, even last year after table talk in January, God put the, deposited this message in my heart, and it has been stirring in me for a year. And I'm going to be honest, I've had to work a year to get order to it but I know that in Isaiah 64 8 Israel was in a similar position and state that we we are in here in America and Isaiah was a prophet who came to bring hope and correction to the people and in Isaiah 64 8 he said and yet O Lord you are our father we are the clay and you are the potter we all are formed by your hand Everybody say formed. Okay, so this word, I feel like, so describes the process he takes us when we join him and go on the journey of transformation. But the thing is, oftentimes, I think, as Christians and believers, and if you've accepted Jesus, then I believe that you started that journey the day you accepted him, the journey of transformation and being formed. But for me, I have served the Lord for a very long time. I was so grateful to be able to be raised in a Christian home where my mom discipled me and poured out the Lord and the Word of God into me. And so I'm super grateful for that. But even though God spared me at a young age to bring me to a relationship with Him, I've still had to allow Him to continue to form me every step of the way. You know, there are people in this room that have a list of what you've been through. You know, I think that there's probably someone in this room that's been through bankruptcy. Someone who's experienced loss, divorce, betrayal, sickness, mental illness. The list can go on and on and some of the things that I listed, you're like, yeah, all of it. <laughs> and I know that it can the list can get long almost to the place where hope is stolen from us because we get into a place where we cannot feel like there's any control. Each and every one of us learned very young in our age in age, that we can't control things. But yet we continue to grasp for the next season because in the next season I'll be able to control it. In the next season I'll be able to... And then we continue to live life and see that actually... There's more and more that we can't control than there is that we can. And so I think that God knew that there would be many things that we would have to go through. In his sovereignty, he knew. He wasn't surprised by anything that has happened in this world or in your life. In John 16, 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, and in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He's been there through it all. He can use it all. His redeeming power can change the way that you tell your story. And I know for me, he's been working on me telling my story differently. He's been working on redeeming my story in such a way that I would be able to tell it with a smile, with laughter, without fear of the future like the Proverbs 31 woman But I'm going to be honestly, I'm not 100% there yet. I may have some tears flow even today because of the fact that I can still go back to that moment and experience that pain just like that. That doesn't mean that I'm not healed. That doesn't mean that God hasn't transformed it and redeemed it and blessed it and brought me through, but there's still more work to be done because he says that I will complete the work that I've begun. Well, guess what? We're still at work. He's still forming us in his hands. And it is okay right now that you're not done. And I want you to tell yourself right now, it's okay that I'm not done. You know, for me, I have a list of things that I've walked through and gone through. You know, the first thing that I went through, I remember my life was pretty functional, safe, safe. Somewhat boring, but very focused on discipleship. My mom from a very young age poured the word of God in me. I was in church all the time. That was our life. That's what we did. And I am so beyond grateful for that sacrifice. But I remember the first time I realized I had no control. When my parents as a teenager got divorced and had a long separation and divorce, I realized I had no control. There was no way I could change the situation. There was no way that I could make anything different or better. There was literally that sense, that first moment of I have no control. But as a young person, thankfully, I was in a healthy, life-giving church. And people surrounded me and discipled me and helped me through that in that season. And I just want to speak to our young people just so you'll know. Every single person in this room has been in a situation as a teenager and a young adolescent that they've gotten to choose to run to God or run away from God. And so I believe today that this is your gift to know that when you face that trouble that Jesus said we would face, That he would give us peace and we don't have to worry because he is sovereign and he's overcome the world. And that you can run to him and you don't have to feel like you have to run away from him. That he can redeem your story. And so here's the deal. What I experienced was in that moment, I did run to the Lord. And I'm so glad I did. But I still had a lie. I had a lie speaking to me saying, but because you're not an adult, you can't be in control. So when you become an adult and you're in charge of your own decisions, you can be in control. So I couldn't wait to be an adult. And I was one who took the reins and ran with it. I had a lot of independence in me. And I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to make that happen. I had a lot of that drive. And so here I become an adult. I go to Bible college. I meet the man that I'm going to marry. I start ministry life. I begin to have a family. And so here I have this moment of out of control as a teenager. And I'm like, okay, I'm an adult. I get to make my own decisions. I even got to make some decisions. And so I'm like, I'm in control of my life. I'm in control. But yet I found myself in my second child looking at her through an incubator. And it was so surprising because I was not high risk. I wasn't supposed to have her early. i had had a full-term baby first. And here I am, emergency rushing to the hospital, having a baby way before I should have. And I'm not able to hold her. And I'm literally looking through the incubator thinking, I have no control of this situation. And I thought when I got to be an adult, I would be in charge. And so here I am with this lid off the blender moment, grasping for anything that I can change. And I remember going to doctor after doctor, being like, what happened? Why? I needed to have an answer. And I was like, I need to be able to say why this happened. I need to be able to understand and so I went to doctor to doctor, and they said, okay, there's actually no reason why you should have had a preterm birth. We don't know what was wrong. There was no signals. There was no reason for us to believe that you ha- we're going to have that, and so we're just going to be a little more proactive next time. We're going to be more watchful. We'll do some shots every week and see if that helps, and so I get pregnant with my third child, and I do the shots, and I do life, and I trust that the doctors told me That this doesn't mean that I'm gonna have this happen again. There's no reason why it should. So I'm gonna live life and I'm gonna trust God because I have a relationship with him and then I have her three and a half weeks early. That is full term, considered full term, considered viable, considered able to go home. And yet she had a a hole in her lung. And I remember thinking, I did the shots. I talked to the doctors. What happened? Why can't I bring my baby home? It's not too early. And I'm back in the NICU waiting for her to get better to come home. And so then (laughs) I just surrendered to the fact that I live, I want to have some more children. I want to have this family. And I'm like, I can't be in control until I have all my babies. So (laughs) I'm going to finish my family. I'm going to have one more baby. And I'm going to be in control, okay, after this. Like, I can't control this, but as soon as I'm done, I'll be in control, Okay, so I have uh, I get pregnant again and uh, from the very beginning of my pregnancy, I had contractions, the whole single pregnancy, and so I was like, oh my goodness, can't eat raspberries, all these rules, and then um, I have to be on bed rest, and I have three kids under the age of four, and um, I can't take care of my husband, I can't take care of my kids, I can't do my job, I can't do my, uh, you know, the responsibilities I have, and my oldest sister, uh, by the grace of God, was in a season that she was able to move in with me to my house and help me, and that was another lit off the blender moment. I was like, I am in charge of my life, and I don't want anybody else running my life. I want to run my life, but I realized it was just for a season, so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna sit in this bed, sit on this couch until this baby is able to come, and so sure enough, I get off of bed rest, and the day after he comes. And so, thankfully, he came full term, we did all the things, we were able to go home from the hospital. Praise God, I'm done having children, we're done, I can be in control. (laughs) Okay, so, fast forward, we're in a ministry working on staff. And you know what, we didn't make much money, you don't make much money in the ministry, but we had a consistent paycheck, okay? But yet, God called us to start a ministry, and so I remember the day that we used our savings to remodel our house, to make an office in our house and a, a bedroom for our assistant because she was going to live there instead of us paying her. And so she's here today. She's awesome. And uh, <laughs> so then I put moved all my four children into our dining room, put up a wall, and made a uh, A camp bunkhouse, basically. And uh, so they lived in there, and when they were little, and so we started the ministry, and sure enough, I had another moment where I felt like there is, I have no control. I don't know how to bring money in. I don't know how to feed my kids. I don't know how to make this ministry thrive or to grow or for, pe- for us to do these things. But we're just in faith doing what he tells us next. And so we start taking mission trips and we start tr- speaking at churches and we start traveling full time. And so I'm telling my husband, like, you have a year to make something money to be able to provide for us or we're quitting and so um here we go we start traveling with four young children Uh, my youngest was potty training at that time and uh (laughs) so my life consisted of packing bags unpacking bags for six people every single day of the week and so I was coming home getting ready for the next trip coming home doing laundry getting ready for the next trip and um, I remember thinking okay so this is a new ministry, it's like a new business, you give everything to it, and then you get it established, and then I'll be under control, okay, so I'm like, I'm going to have it all together after we get this ministry off the ground, and so sure enough, I get, we get the ministry off the ground, it's thriving, God's using it, he's doing all the things he promises us to do, and it's amazing, and then my husband walks in and says, God told me to pl- move and plant a church in Rogers, Arkansas, and I was like, okay, I don't want to be a church planner. We've already talked about this. We had already had conversations about the fact that I did not want to do that. And so here we have this real big moment, pivotal moment. So I go to the Lord. God confirms it. He tells me clearly that this is what we're supposed to do. And so he's like, we're going to sell everything, and we're going to move. At that point, we had never even been to Rogers, Arkansas. And so uh, sure enough, we get on board. We sell everything that we own, and we move to Rogers, Arkansas to plant a church. And I had never been a part of a a church plant. I'd always gone to an established church. You just know people are going to show up. (laughs) You know, people have been there for 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and they all know to come on Sunday. And (laughs) you don't really have to worry about it that much. And so here I'm in this position that I am going into a city that I hardly know anyone. And this is my thought. This is the lie. Okay. So you're going to move here. You're going to build a church, and this is going to be your home. And so this is where you're going to build a life. Okay, so yes, you built a life here, but this is your season to build this life, and this is your life. Like, this is what is going to be, you know, the boring part. Like, that's the part I'm looking forward to. And so I'm like, okay, as soon as we move to Rogers and we make this our home, we get a couple of friends, and we get the church going, I'm going to be in control. I'm going to be able to make my own decisions I'm not going to be worried about what could happen next I mean Stephen has heard God And he knows that like we'll need to stay here And so um, here I am Hoping and praying that This is the last out of control moment That I would experience And I'm telling myself Yeah we just need to get established We just need to build a life here And so 18, 19 months in Maybe 20, I can't even remember exactly Because it was such a blur Um. my healthy daughter got sick. Surprisingly, it was a horrible, horrible sickness. And it was terrible to watch her go through. And I remember getting to the hospital, being air flighted to Children's, and them telling me, I don't know if she's going to make it. The doctor's telling me this. And I'm like, but you're supposed to, no, because they were like, we don't know what to do. Like, there's, we, we're just going to have to wait and see. And I was like, but your children's hospital, you're the one that's supposed to know and you're supposed to fix her. We've been here before. We've been in the NICU. Like, you always knew what to do. And so for you to tell me that you don't know what to do, I'm like, lit off the blender. I didn't want this. I don't want to feel out of control. I want a boring life. <sighs> And so, thankfully, God, in his miraculous power, saved her life. And I know there's people in this room that have experienced loss. And I know that not everybody's situation ends up hopeful and where the person that they love lived. And I don't want you to feel like this story is by any means discrediting your story. Because even if you've experienced great loss in that way, I want you to know that as miraculous as it was for Tia's life to be saved, That's as miraculous as it is for God, it's Holy Spirit to come in and comfort you and get you through this loss. And so, of course, we go through months of, I mean, hospital, back and forth, home health, having to homeschool because she missed that school season, and just having to navigate life in a very different way when a pick is in your daughter's arm and you're having to set up the IV And give her shots every day, multiple times a day, praying that we're gonna get through and she's not gonna have the the side effects of this disease. And then I remember praying that, Lord, she's healed, she's healed. And I remember the day that I went and they told me that she'd lost her hearing in one ear. And I remember telling God, I said, I know I'm supposed to be grateful. That she didn't lose both hearing in both ears, and I know I'm supposed to be grateful for her life, and I, I so am. <laughs> but for some reason, it's really difficult for me to get there in this moment because I'm so disappointed that we didn't go and then tell me she can hear, she's recovered, she has no side effects. <laughs> And so I felt so out of control because there is, at this point, no solution for hearing other than hearing aids. And so we do have a hearing aid, of course. She is the most driven lady you've ever met, and so she's not wearing that hearing aid. And so (laughs) she's uh, rocking her life regardless, and you would never know it, Uh, never know where she's been and what she's gone through. And I thought, okay, this was a test. We started the church. The enemy tried to come steal our lives and, like, our joy, and so I passed the test, right, God? Like, there was a moment in the hospital that I didn't think I was going to pass the test. I had that moment of, God, are you, how could you do this? And I know that he didn't do it. I know the enemy tried to steal her life. I know it was a demonic attack, and I have the faith to believe that. I have the word of God to to put my feet on solid ground to stand on that but in that moment i questioned it all and i remember getting through that moment hearing the voice of god and saying some will trust in horses and some will trust in chariots but you will trust in the name of the lord your god and i remember taking that word and that promise and holding it with everything that i had because i had nothing else to hold and there was nothing way no way i could change the situation And so here we're recovered. We're going forward. She's going to be okay. We got through that. It was just a test. The enemy's trying to get us down and keep us from doing what he's called us to do. And so, of course, I can get through that. But as soon as we're, as soon as she's better, I can be in control. As soon as I'm done with this test, because this was the biggest test, we can be in control. So then seven, eight, nine months later, I get a call from my oldest son and my husband, who was taking my four kids to school, um, Got in a head-on car crash going 50 miles an hour. And my son calls and was like, you have to get here now. And the police gets on the phone and is like, you have to get here now. Hurry. I, and the police officer was like, if he lives, he will either have, I mean, he, she was talking about amputation, perilous, all the things. He was crushed in the truck. My daughter had a brain bleed and a skull fracture, began to vomit and seize. And if you're a nurse or if you know anything about that, that's not good. And there's not a lot of hope after that type of scenario. But we, by the time we air flighted her to Springfield, and my husband was being taken out of the truck and air flighting as well, by the time we got to Springfield, they scanned her brain again and said, I don't think she needs surgery. I think this will heal on its own. And I'm just telling you <laughs> that anybody can tell me that that was just a coincidence, but I'm like, literally, from the hospital to the hospital, something changed drastically because they were telling me that, and they, I mean, dropped everything. Everybody ran into the room. Everybody, I mean, it was one of those nightmare moments as a parent. And I remember thinking, are you, I mean, I literally was just, I didn't know what to do because I was like, what in the world? Who has two life-threatening tragedies in like a couple of months? Like how does, like that doesn't happen. And I was, I had all the thoughts of being picked on, of being out of God's will, of doing something wrong, of why did I choose to do anything that he's asked me to do? And bottom line is, is that the Lord was wanting to use those moments in my life, not because he did them. He didn't cause those things. He didn't initiate those things, but he was, through, he was there through it all. He was ready to redeem every single portion of it. And so in that moment, I had to really grasp for purpose and grasp for hope because I felt like the enemy's thumb was on me. And so after that year, we'd been in, the, in and out of the hospital like 19 different times. And so it was one of those years that I literally was just like, oh, you need to go to the hospital, let's go. Like, I mean, it was just like, oh, yeah, that, that was like normal. Like, let's go down the road and go to the ER because we need to. And so it, it was not a right normal. <laughs> it was not a right mindset. I was definitely coping and numb. And I thought, okay, I get it. I gained strength and faith from when Tia got sick to endure this car accident. I have strength and faith to believe and get through this. So this was, you know, intentional. God's building me. God's making me stronger. God has equipped me. I can do this. And here I go through the recovery, et cetera. And I'm thinking, but this is the year. Like, we're done. Like, I'm in control after this. Like, this is the test. (laughs) Like, after this, we are going to, like, have smooth sailing. We're going to pastor a church. We're going to live in Rogers. And we're going to live boring. And so... (laughs) Sure enough, then COVID happened. And I remember thinking, obviously all of us were set off. We were all surprised. We were all like, what's going on? And of course, some of my closest relationships were shaken. Some of the people that my kids did life with, that were more family than they were friends. Broke relationships. And I had to question, what in the world did I do wrong? Because I feel like there's nothing I could have done to change it. But maybe there was, and I'm grappling for reasons. What did I do wrong? What did I not see? What did I not say? I'm watching my kids cry over broken relationships. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) But I had no control over it. And I do not know how to fix it. I can't change someone, and I can't change the situation, but God. But God, he is sovereign, and there's nothing beyond his reach. And he has come in and redeemed, and he has come in and been faithful, and he has come in with his power to move in each and every one of my kids' lives, and mine and Stephen's to move in the church that we planted and the the people that are coming through the doors, his plan and his mission and his vision hasn't changed. Like God's still doing a work in spite of our broken life, in spite of our mess, in in spite of our imperfections. He's actually using it all and he's going beyond it and reaching people and changing people and loving people and helping people. But yet, there had to be a moment where I put myself in a place to agree with Romans 8:28. And it says and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we love that scripture. We love putting it on our refrigerator. We love embroidering it on a towel. But here's the deal. When we say we love God, It's so much more than the word that is defined by this world. When we say we love God, it means I've given my whole life to you. I surrender it all. You are sovereign and I trust you. It says I obey you. It says no matter what happens, you're mine and I'm yours. So all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I'm not going to lie to you. There were times that I wished I wasn't called. I wish I wasn't called to any purpose. I wish I could just live a boring life. But the thing is, is the fact that God knew that even though I say that in my flesh, he knew that my spirit was made for more because he is my creator. He is the potter. I am the clay. He's the one forming me. And he goes beyond my flesh. And he says, no, 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 you don't really mean that. I know you want to be formed into my likeness. I know you want me to come in and heal and humble. I know you want to come in me to come in and redeem your story. I know you don't want to stay stuck. I know you don't want to stay numb. I know you don't want to stay ba- bound by fear. And the world and everything in it, all of us have to deal with the people. All of us have to deal with the just and the unjust, the drought and the rain. All of us have to deal with the wind and the waves. But see, when we love God and we know he is sovereign, we know nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. He can use it all. It's not pointless. Jesus can use it all to form us. But rest assured, if we stay neutral, something will form us. And that something the enemy uses the world and the culture. The enemy will use Instagram and Twitter and Facebook to form us into whose likeness? The enemy's likeness and for the enemy's glory. And I see Christians, believers, partnering with the enemy saying, for me. Instead of saying, recognizing, having eyes to see and ears to hear that, hey, this is not God's plan. He is sovereign. And so I've given up. On a sovereign God whom can do anything to sacrifice to the enemy that only has evil in store for me. And so we go back to John and we say, Jesus said, in this world you will face trouble, but in me have peace. I have overcome the world. See, in the Old Testament times, to soften the clay, the potter had to really work it. They could even use a hard piece of clay and work it, and work it, and work it. And do you know what the potter used to soften the clay? He used water. And he poured a little water, and he softened. And he poured a little water, and he softened. And he poured a little water, and he softened. And then he began to mold the clay into a vessel. The potter already knew the purpose of the vessel. He wasn't guessing. He wasn't thinking, what am I going to make today? He knew exactly what he needed to make, what he wanted to make, and what the purpose was for what he was going to make. It was already preplanned. It was already decided. It wasn't like a creative moment of like, ooh. We're talking about a, about a potter who makes things that are useful, a potter that makes things that hold grain, the bread of life, a potter who makes things that hold oil, the new wine. That th- this is the things that the Old Testament used pottery for, and all of these things have spiritual significance. And so here he is, he's forming us, and he's pouring a little water, and he's pouring a little water, and he's is kneading the clay and making it, spinning it on the wheel. He's centering it on the wheel. He's not allowing it to go off of the wheel because he can't make anything that's not on the wheel. And so here he is, he knows he makes a beautiful vase. He's a, he makes a beautiful pitcher, a beautiful container. And then what's the next step is he puts it in the fire. And he puts it in a fire, why? To seal it, to seal the cracks, to complete it, to heal it, to make it usable. It cannot be used for its purpose apart from the fire. And the thing is, is the Holy Spirit oftentimes is referred to as the fire, and the Holy Spirit was sent to us when Jesus rose from the dead. We waited for the Holy Spirit to empower us. And why did we do that? It's because we need the Holy Spirit to come comfort our bruises. And we need the Holy Spirit to come heal our wounds. And the fire to complete us. And we can't do it apart from his power, apart from his fire. And But the fire is hot. And that's the thing that oftentimes we will avoid. And we get back on the, we get off of the pottery wheel to become a hard piece of clay again, to try to mold again and put the water on again and try to get to the firing process. And we do it over and over again, and the Lord is like, surrender to me. Surrender to the potter. Surrender to the process. Surrender to the purpose that I have. Surrender to the forming. You know, every vessel has to go through the molding and the making. Every vessel. Every vessel has to experience the water, and every vessel has to experience the fire. No vessel can skip a piece. After the clay is softened, he centers the center of the clay on the base, and he continues to put us back in the center of the base, to put us right on the Word of God, right on Jesus, our foundation, Christ the cornerstone. Don't forget, keep the main thing the main thing. We're on the center of the wheel. We're keeping on staying on the center of the wheel. We're not going to get off the wheel Although how many times can I confess that I've walked right off the wheel? I have walked right off the wheel because I just don't want to surrender. But for us to be formed, we do. Each and every one of us have to make a decision to surrender to the potter. Some of you in this room, it'll be your first decision. You're facing, do I want to do that? I've never done that before. And some of us in this room are being asked Will you submit and surrender to the potter again? Will you surrender to the potter every day? Will you surrender to the potter everything? Will you surrender it all so that I can use my hand of humbling and my hand of healing? Because every day I have that for you and I'm ready to humble your pride and heal your pain. Because he knows What happens when we have pride and pain? Pride begets pain. Pain begets pride. And it's a vicious cycle. And there's fear behind all of it. And he sees his daughters gripped with fear. He sees his daughters gripped with depression. He sees his daughters gripped with anxiety. He sees his daughters gripped with the need to control something. And he's like, don't reject my humbling. See, we look at humbling and think that's a negative thing. We look at repentance and think it's a negative thing. We think, we look at forgiveness towards people that have wronged us, and we look at it as a negative thing, like he's making me do it again. He's making me forgive. He's making me repent. He's making, surrender to the potter. I have been there I have complained. I have questioned. I have done the whole nine yards. But by this point in my life, 40 years later, I can say I am done with the lie that I can be in control. I am going to surrender to the potter every day. Now, obviously, I want you to know that we do have control over our responses We get to choose how we act. We get to choose what we say. We get to choose and make a lot of choices because he's delegated authority. But just so you'll know, he's sovereign and he's delegated that authority. He's given it. He didn't have to, but he gave it. He gave us free will. He gave us a choice. So anything that we have been delegated is our responsibility. But even those things have to be surrendered and submitted to the potter even the things that are in our hands. Because we have to realize we can't carry anything He's given us without His hand of humbling and His hand of humility. We can't carry anything apart from His Word that washes us and cleans us and humbles us. And we can't carry anything apart from His Holy Spirit whom comforts us and heals us. And so some some of you in the room, maybe it's been a long time since you've opened your Word. Maybe... You read the Word every day. But this is the thing that I want you to be aware of. If we are not in the Word, we will not be humbled. Our heart will become very hard, and our wounds will not be healed. Because the Word is what shows us what we need to change. The Word is what shares with us the love of God and His plan. The word is what corrects us. The word is what puts a mirror in front of us to say, this is what you really look like. You have food in your teeth. Okay, so here's the deal. If you are offended when someone says you have food in your teeth, that's not a good reason to be offended because someone loves you enough to say you have food in your teeth. Okay, there's a mirror there that says, hey, you know what? Your breath is kind of foggy. It's stinky, so you need a mint. And that is so much love. And so here's the deal, we read the word with the wrong motives often. We read the word in our flesh, wanting it to agree with us, wanting it to feed the offense that we have, wanting it to excuse our actions, wanting it to say they were wrong and I was right. In all transparency, I told my husband the other day, I was like, you know what, I don't think I'm there yet because every time I think about that situation, I keep on thinking about how more wrong they were. (laughs) And so I know that's not where I have to I can stay. I have to keep moving forward because I can't stay there because I know it's wrong. I know that's my flesh. And so we have to have a group of women who say, "I know that's my flesh." I'm reading this word surrendering to the potter, not trying to agree with my flesh. And so here's the deal, it is a work in progress and that's why we have to do it every day. If we do not surrender to his humbling and his healing every day, believe me, you will end up hardened and bleeding on everybody else. You know what? I was thinking of the fact that we have, we have a culture, we have a generation of women who don't know the difference between a bruise and a wound and we have people that have been bruised, just life, bumps, personalities and they're trying to get surgery and all they need is a little TLC, a little comfort and a little time. And then we have those who are wounded trying to give their wound a little comfort and a little time and they need surgery. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals that to us. But if we're not surrendered to the potter and we're not centered on that wheel, we cannot hear him. We cannot hear the difference between a bruise and a wound. And so therefore we can't administer the right thing. We can't receive the right administration of the word. And so here's the deal. We, I've heard all the time, like lately, like everything's trauma. I'm like, I don't know if everything is trauma. I know that everything affects us, so I'm not discrediting trauma. I've been through some. But I know that some of the hurts that I have faced are bumps and bruises because I live in a world with people, and I live in a world with my own background and experiences that help me interpret things incorrectly. And so that's why I have to be in the Word because it says it washes me pure and clean. It makes me a spotless bride. There is a, Jesus is coming back for a spotless, pure bride. And we try to make it difficult and we try to make it over-spiritualized. But you know what? If you will get in your Word and you will question your flesh and you will surrender to the potter, I believe he will make it really clear what he's wanting to do. And that he can come in and say, that pride is not of me and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Come repent. Come boldly to the throne of grace and make it right. Don't be the person who holds this for 20 years and distances every relationship in their lives. Don't be the person who holds this for five days and be the person that misses the joy and the beauty of every day that I've given them. Here he is giving us the opportunity to surrender. You know, I was thinking of young mamas talking about their babies. I was in a group of ladies uh, about to lead Mom Life, which is a life group in our church that is geared towards loving on moms, uh, babies, and preschoolers. And so um, it's a great group of ladies. We have a new generation of moms coming up, and it was so fun. I, if you know me, I have four children. under. They were all 18 months apart. And so I loved the mom stage. I loved the baby stage. I loved the preschool stage. And I know people think I'm crazy, but I still cry sometimes. Uh, so I always, my hashtag is always mom, mom job best job because I really am honored and blessed by that job. And it still is my favorite thing I get to do. But they were all talking about the lack of sleep they'd gotten. One has twins and one has uh, two little children really close together. And they were like, oh, have you heard about the sleep sack? do you have a sleep sack? And I was like, I don't even have a baby. But I'm like, what is the sleep sack? (laughs) I'm like, I'm so interested. Because they were like, oh my gosh, you put them in the sleep sack and they just fall asleep and they stay asleep all night. And I was like, what invention, and I thought of the fact that I remember buying a million different things that told me it would promise my child sleep, and I remember like researching, I'm a researcher, but I'm like googling how do I get my child to sleep, because every mama in the room knows that the thing is that they need the most is the thing that they fight the most, okay, so my first child, oh my lord, he did not like sleep, ever, ever, He didn't want to. He didn't like it, and he told me about it all the time. And so uh, here his first year of life, he just basically cried. So poor guy, Uh, but I didn't have a sleep sack. (laughs) So... Um, I don't know how, like, this is changing someone's life in this moment, but you should get a sleep sack. And um, here I am uh, listening to these young mamas talk about how it helps their children not fight sleep. Because I know they need sleep. And I know I need sleep. And so I was thinking of the fact that that's exactly what we do to the Lord. Like, the mama knows what the baby needs. And the baby just keeps on fighting. And the mama has to get super creative and keep on trying and keep on trying to put the child to sleep and get them to stay asleep and so I was thinking of the Lord and how he's watching us fight against the humbling process he's watching us fight against the healing process and he went to the store and he googled babies are us and he did all the things okay so he sent Jesus because he knew we were fighting the very thing that we needed He knew that we needed it so desperately and we couldn't move forward without it. There is no functioning with no sleep. And so I just want to challenge you today. What have we been fighting that our sovereign God in heaven knows that we need? And he has been sending his Holy Spirit with all of the different directions and ways that he draws us with his kindness. He sent people in our lives He sent church in our lives. He sent the word of God in our lives. He sent moments of prayer in our lives. He's given us all these tools. But are we using them? Or are we fighting the very thing that he sent us to overcome? To sent us to soften us. Sent us to heal us. Sent us to humble us. sent, Sent us to become the vessel that he's called us to be. You know, I just want to encourage you, pain and pride both want control. And that's exactly where the children of Israel were when Isaiah prophesied. They just wanted control. You know what? They were sacrificing children. They were worshiping gods of, listen to this, fate and destiny. They were doing things to give to the gods to try to prolong their lives, to create prosperity And they wanted to be called God's children. They wanted to be blessed by that title. They wanted a little bit of God in their lives because it was a a blessing to be God's children. But yet they didn't necessarily want to give up the control of the length of their life. They didn't want to give control up to the things that they really cared about, that they really wanted, that they were really upset about. And here Isaiah comes in with the word of the Lord. Because our Father loves us so much, He will send the word of the Lord to us to say, I am your Father who loves you. Stop fighting. Surrender to the potter. Stop looking to whether you like it or not. Stop looking to your preferences. Stop looking to your comfortability. And surrender to the process thank you for listening to this week's podcast we would love to hear how this message impacted you feel free to let us know on the contact us tab of the house website we hope you have a great week